Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Man, it feels so good to win. It has been a very challenging and difficult season for us. It's always great when you pick up an unexpected series win, and we did over the weekend. Uh, give you a little update here, too. You know, uh, the Friday show was pushed to Saturday. And, of course, Friday we had uh, graduation at Mississippi State, so didn't get a chance to do it. Saturday I did and had all kinds of technical issues uploading the show. So I apologize for that. And as you guys that listen to the show regularly know, I'm, I'm a person of habit. I'm an addict, right? And so anytime things change, I'm uncomfortable. And so I wake up Saturday morning, talk to the wife, and uh, kind of get things going, start recording the show, and the migraine headache sets in. But halfway through the show, I just had to pause, go back, take some Tylenol, lay back down, got up, finished the show, tried to upload, I think, four times, left it to upload, and then eventually had Ian try to re-upload it. Never worked. So I got home last night from Baton Rouge, and I rebooted the computer, did all the updates, and thankfully it loaded. So that went up late last night, so you're probably getting two shows within 24 hours. So I apologize for that. Not much I could do. I had to hustle down to Baton Rouge because I had to do pregame radio with Jason Crowder, the official pregame show. And I always appreciate Jason having me on. Left there, went over to Alex Box Stadium. Of course, we'd already dropped the Friday game as I recapped on the uh, Saturday show. So we're going to talk about a couple of wins today. How about that? Number two team in the country. We went down there and won the series. There's a lot that's still got to happen for us just to make Hoover. And a lot of people are kind of said, hey, you know what? It looks like maybe things are going to kind of stay as they are. I've said that for weeks. I do expect Chris Simonis to be retained. And one of the things that I said last week is what needs to happen is Lamonis and the Bulldogs need to give us some signs of recovery. We need to see a sense of turnaround. And maybe this weekend we got some of that. I know some of you are disappointed about that. And, and here's the thing, too. It would be so easy to get out here and want to, you know, joust back and forth about that. I'm not going to do that. Because I know at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. And that is for Mississippi State to do well. I do find it interesting, though. There are some people that cannot be happy even when we win. And it's like I've read some things. Well, I was hoping we, could, we would lose so that it doesn't matter what's after that. I can never, ever, ever, at any point in my life, under any circumstances, hope that Mississippi State loses. You know, in my estimation, in my opinion, and that and 50 cents to get you a cup of coffee at the D-Lo truck stop, right? The shortest road back is for Chris Lamonis to make it. For this team to turn around, whether we make Hoover or not, close out on a strong note, hit the portal, get a few pieces here and there, and have a big year next year. I think that is the, the road home. I think that's the best-case scenario for State. Now, I might be wrong. You know, Chris Simonis goes out there next year and we struggle. There's no decision to make. I think right now there is some indecision about what's the best move. I have always found in my life, whether they be in my managerial roles or leadership roles, when you don't know what to do, don't do anything. 
Because if you're making an emotional decision, chances are you're making the wrong decision. You can't make emotional decisions when you're in leadership. you got to look at the big picture. That's not to say that we're always going to share the same vision of what that picture is. But you can't make emotional decisions. And that's the thing, too, I get back to. There's so many people, like, we'll lose a ball game, and it's like, well, what about now, Steve? What about now? What about now? What about now? Guys, one ball game is not going to make a difference, good, bad, or indifferent. And just as one game on Saturday to win against LSU, I don't know how much difference that makes either. My honest opinion is, is I don't think Zach Selman ever anticipated having to make a coaching change this year. And I think in many respects, maybe caught a bit unaware. We're thinking, okay, last year was an anomaly. We'll get it going. And all of a sudden, we start turning it around. You know, we win the series against Alabama. We win the series against Ole Miss. Now, any thoughts about that? You're thinking, okay, okay. All right, we're good for another year, at least. We've got things going in the right direction. Then we drop that series at Auburn, which ignited the Tigers. They've been outstanding since then. They had not won a series the entire year. Uh, or maybe they won one. Yeah, they beat Georgia. Uh, my point being is that they had not been a great SEC team. Now, all of a sudden, maybe the one team in the Southeastern Conference you don't want to play. And then things kind of got into a tailspin for us a little bit. And so we get all caught up. And it's like, well, Steve, what about now? What about now? And so I want to say, you know, sometimes, well, what about now? Now that we've won this big series at OSU, the number two team in the country, the team that has been constructed through the NIL device to be the best team in college baseball. And I'm here to tell you right now, and I know I've got some LSU fans who are listening today, LSU is not the best team in college baseball. And this may not seem like a very big hot take, but I'll tell you this. And I had one of the young guys on the row ask me uh, yesterday, and I got ready to leave. I said, Steve, you've watched more SEC baseball than all of us. Can this LSU team win the College World Series? And I'm going to tell you no. In its current form, this team cannot win in Omaha. This team might not even make it to Omaha, which in some respects is a bit of an indictment on how this whole NIL thing has been uh, you know, implemented at LSU. I mean, you go out and you spend all this money and you've got all this money to go out and buy players, and then you go buy them, and you have the biggest payroll in baseball, and you don't win, you don't get the ultimate prize, then all of a sudden, how do you go back to those same people next year? And say, listen, hey, I know you gave us all this money last year, and we didn't quite get it done, but if you give us some more this year, we promise to get it done. That's not going to work. That's just not how it works. And listen, I lived down there for 16 years. I know how much those people love LSU, and I wish we were a lot more like them, to be quite honest with you. It's almost a cult type thing. I mean, really it is. Everybody down there is LSU to their core. They are. We have a small segment of our fan bases like that, but the, the people at LSU are like this. You know, if, if, if a former player said something negative about LSU, they'd be like, man, screw that guy. To heck with him. We're LSU. Forget him. Our fans, on the other hand, if one of our people says something negative about us, we think, well, they got to be right. They got to be right. Because deep down, we want to be negative. We have a self-loathing segment of our fan base that just absolutely cannot wait to be negative. Any sign of adversity, any sign of trouble, we bring out the forks, man. We get going. It's true. But I'm excited to talk about these ball games. But, again, it's an interesting 
study into the implementation of NIL to see this LSU team that has the best pitcher in all college baseball on Fridays and then nothing else pitching-wise. I mean, listen, Ty Floyd's pretty good. He, he is pretty good, to be fair to him. He's good. He's not great, though. And that's a problem that you have. When you don't have two great starters, it's tough. And, you know, we won the College World Series with a starter and a half, but we had the best bullpen in all of college baseball. And the fact that State could win a, a battle of the bullpens against LSU and Alex Box Stadium, that's got to be a harbinger of things to come if you're a fan of the purple and gold. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Again, I was in there, uh, I guess, uh, Thursday. I'll be back in there again this week. Hopefully, I'll be leaving town here Wednesday. Plan to get in a Bulldog Burger Company either today or tomorrow. I'm kind of hemmed up, man, when it comes to this uh, Mississippi barbecue burger. And here's the deal about that, okay? You always get the great beef patty, right? But you get pulled pork on top of it with some amazing barbecue sauce. You can even get the uh, fried onion straws on there, too. I don't. It's a bit much for me. Not that I don't like onion straws. I just don't want them on a burger. So I don't get them. I get those with the onion rings, which I know makes me weird. That's okay. I am a riddle wrapped inside of an enigma. But I love that hamburger. I do. And uh, I have had it three times now. I have finished it all three times. A lot of times you could get Bulldog Burger Company, and the portions are so substantial, it's tough to finish the meal. But I have finished that Mississippi barbecue burger, and I think you will too. It's outstanding. I kind of I don't have to force myself to do it. I look up, and I'm like, i got two bites left. It's outstanding. Go by and check it out today. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. You get the chocolate shake to go. Again, I'm a fan of the Nutella shake right now. I might change it up next time I go in. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive and Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. You can eat a lot of places, but none better than Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. As you guys know, Bulldogs drop game one of the series in embarrassing fashion. And you say, you know what, Steve? I don't like the fact that Mississippi State waves a white flag here. Why would we throw off? Why wouldn't we go best on best? Well, I may have reminded you of this. If I did not, we'll, we'll take a trip down memory lane together again. Back in 1989, considered by many to be the greatest Mississippi State baseball team of all time. We were facing Ben McDonald. And rather than throw Bobby Reed, rather than throw Tracy Jobes, rather than throw Chuck Holly, we elected to throw Chris George, a freshman, and he beat Ben McDonald. We win the game, win the series. So people would say, well, Ron Polk would never. Ron Polk did. Matter of fact, Polky and I talked about it. And there were so many people said, why would we concede this game? And the, the bottom line is this, is this is about managing the weekend. If Cade Smith goes out there and gives up three runs, we lose the game, and then we've wasted Cade Smith for the weekend. Is Cade Smith good enough to beat Paul Skeens? Not without some help. Paul Skeens, one of the most dominant pitchers that we have seen, arguably, since Ben McDonald. Of course, Oregon State had some really good staffs here a couple years ago, but Paul Skeens is a freak, man. He is. And Wes Johnson, even though Wes has had some issues, uh, Wes is getting the most out of Paul Skeens. And, uh, you know, seven innings – of a one-run ball game on Friday to Ross Highfield home run. Bulldogs only managed three hits in the game. But Skeens is good. But you knew, you know what, hey, if I can pair up Cade Smith with Ty Floyd or maybe somebody else, I give my team a chance to win. 
and we ultimately win game two and eventually game three and take the series down there. So for all of you that were so critical of Chris Lamonis for throwing off on, on Friday, let's give equal credit for the fact that he managed this exactly the right way and then won a series against the then number two team in the country. I guess they're five now. Is that right? Yeah. So, tip of the cap. I mean, if we're all just being, you know, objective arbiters of what we think college baseball should be about, you can't sit here and be critical of Lamanas for, for making this decision and then ignore the fact that we won the series. You can't. You can try to, but you can't do it honestly, and you can't do it objectively. If you are really being objective about Mississippi State baseball and how things are managed this weekend, you got to give the skipper some credit for how he got it done. And for all of you that said the team, the team had, had quit. You know, we didn't have a lot of great effort against Arkansas. I'll be the first to tell you that. We didn't. But for those of you that say this team has mailed it in, I think you got some evidence this weekend that you're wrong. All right, top of one. Amani Larry pops up the first, Ledbetter singles back up the middle. And State had traffic on the bases early in this ballgame. Hines strikes out Loki. Not a great weekend for Hunter, though he did have a good Sunday. Ledbetter goes to second on a balk. Got a couple of those in a weekend on LSU pitching. We talk about Wes Johnson being a great pitching coach. This weekend, it's probably not at the top of his resume. Uh, Dakota Jordan and strikes out Loki. All right, here we go. Kate Smith, we're getting ready to roll, baby. One, two, three inning. Dugas flies out to left. Morgan flies out to right. And Dylan Cruz, who had a tough weekend, grounds out to short. Cruz went 0 for Friday, Saturday. Finally got a hit on Sunday. All right, top of second. Stayed again with traffic on the bases. Kellum Clark comes up and doubles down the left field line. Downs and strikes out swinging. Hancock grounds out to second. Clark takes third. We got the go-ahead run there 90 feet away. Slid offered and grounds out to second. Lengthy at bat there. We just couldn't finish it. Just couldn't finish it. All right, bottom of second. LSU gets going here. Uh, Tommy White doubles to left center. May have been the toughest out we saw all weekend. Beloso then walks. And it, uh, shouldn't Cade Beloso be a doctor at this point? My goodness. And I had somebody tell me the other day they went back-to-back-to-back home runs. And it was the first time since 2019, and Cade Beloso was part of that too. I think Cade Belasso may, may be a play with Blair Barbier and uh, Ryan Terrio and Brad Cressy and those teams in the early 2000s. It seems like Cade Beloso has grown up an LSU Tiger. Uh, Hayden Trevensky pops up to short. Beloso goes to second and wide to third on a wild pitch. Joe Bear walks to load the bases. And i tell you this, this segment right here was so significant later in the ballgame. Bases loaded. The crowd is cheering. It looks like we're struggling to throw strikes here. Jones strikes out swinging, and then Thompson Waltz. We walk in the run right here. Now, Cade could have folded, but he didn't. Gavin Dugas comes up there, leadoff hitter for the Tigers, one of the better hitters in the Southeastern Conference, and we strike him out on three pitches. One, two, three. Go grab some bench. So could have been a disaster inning. Instead, it's one. And that's the thing about Cade Smith. Listen, Cade is not a true Friday night guy. He's given us our best effort. He is our best guy. And the fact that we're in this situation is it's really not on him. But he's out here on a Saturday. He's probably a Saturday or Sunday guy. But the reality of it is, is right here, 
he shows he shows some stones. He shows some Friday night metal here. He strikes out do got to leave him loaded and limit it to just the one run there. All right, top of third, State comes out. Marshawn walks, and for the third consecutive inning, Bulldogs have a runner on base. Leadoff walk here. Maybe we can make it matter, right? Uh, Larry strikes out swinging. Ledbetter flies out the center. Hines flies out the right. So Marshawn is parked at first base. Bottom of third, Smith back out. We get a Morgan ground out. Cruz strikes out swinging. And then there's Tommy White again. Tommy Tanks not hitting tanks very often against us, but another, you know, hammers a single to left field. Probably catch a little bit too much of the plate here on 0-2. And then Beloso strikes out looking. We'd have to do the numbers here. That guy's probably struck out against Mississippi State pitching more than anybody in active SEC baseball. All right, top of four, still one at the ball game. State goes one, two, three. DJ strikes out swinging. Clark strikes out looking. And then down strikes out swinging, and it really felt like Floyd was settling in here. Bottom of four, we get down 2-0 in the count of Travinsky, and he hits an absolute tank to left, makes it a 2-0 ball game. And listen, that's going to be Cade. Cade is going to challenge hitters, and sometimes they're going to get it. But more times than not, he's going to win. This is one that got away from him. 2-0 count, got a little bit predictable. The guy guessed right, hits a tank. Gilbert strikes out looking. Jones grounds out to Cade. And Thompson strikes out looking. So, you know, again, you pitch around the, the solo home run and uh, you avoid the big crooked number ending there. All right, top of five, State finally gets on the board. And, again, State, you know, traffic on the bases, right? Fourth time in five innings, we get guys on, and it's a leadoff single. Hancock, really nice at bat here. 3-1 count, and he fouls off three pitches and then singles back up the middle and takes second on a wild pitch. Slate offered, then flies out the center. Hancock tags and takes third. So we've got the time, excuse me, we've got our first run at third with less than two outs. And David Marchand doubles off the wall and left. I thought the ball was gone off the bat. Surprised me, but that's the thing too. Even you, even you can hit home runs at Alex Box Stadium. And David Dave Marchand nearly did here. Hancock scores, and then uh, again, runner to scoring position here, less than two outs. Larry grounds out the short, pushes Marchand to third. And then Ledbetter with a chance here to tie the ball game. We foul out outside of third. Shortstop runs it down there. But State's on the board. Through four and a half here, it's 2-1 LSU. Kate goes back out there. We get Dugat a foul out. Morgan flies out to right. We walk Dylan Cruz. And then Tommy White again, again, singles through the left side. A Cruz takes second. And then Beloso fouls out to the catcher. So 2-1 here. So, again, we, we have the walk. The two-out walk, we're able to kind of navigate around that, even though Tommy White, big hit there. All right, so through five, it's a 2-1 ball game. Top of six, uh, Hunter strikes out swinging, Jordan strikes out looking, and then Kellum Clark, decent weekend for Kellum. Uh, singles to left field here, and then Downs strikes out swinging. So around the Kellum Clark single, Floyd gets uh, struck out the side. All right, bottom of six. Travinsky fouls out the first. Joe Bear walks. We get Jones to strike out swinging. And Thompson flies out to left. So nothing doing for LSU. So through six, though, it's a 2-1 ball game. You're thinking, you know what, hey, we got to find a way to string some things together here. You know, again, we're getting guys on five out of the first six innings. Mississippi State gets a runner on and only gets one in. Opportunities abounded. We just simply couldn't break through against Floyd. All right, top of seven. They bring in Ackenhausen. 
And uh, the very first thing that happens is uh, he falls behind Luke Hancock, and then it is a solo shot to right field, and you knew it off the bat. It was going to get out. It ties the game at two. State with a chance here to really take some advantage, and we couldn't get the big base hit. Offer flies out to right. Then David Marchand gets down 0-2 in a count and works the count full. Singles through the left side. Still seconds. Again, runner in scoring position with less than two outs. They walk Amani Larry on four pitches. And then they wild pitch them both to second and third. Now two runners in scoring position with less than two outs. And you're thinking, just give me a productive out here. Give me a ground ball to the right side. Give me a routine fly ball to right. Ledbetter strikes out swinging and Hines strikes out looking. So a missed opportunity here for State. Fortunately, it didn't come back to hurt us. All right, bottom of seven. And this is where things get a little bit interesting. We bring in Colby Holcomb, who has been good. He's had back-to-back outings that have been a little bit shaky, though. I still have high hopes for Colby, really do. But he comes in and he gets into a 2-2 count with uh, Dugas, and he hits him. Then we wild pitch him to second, and then we get into a 1-2 situation with Trey Morgan, a chance to finish him, and we plunk him too. Give Lamona some credit here. Even though it's a tie ball game, rather than kind of wait around and let Holcomb figure it out, we said, you know what, we're going to make a move right here. We bring in Casey Hunt. Lengthy at bat, he ends up walks, walking Dylan Cruz, who will probably be the second pick in the draft behind Paul Skeens, to load the bases with nobody out, and you feel like, okay, this is their moment. This is OSU's moment. They're going to go ahead and put this thing away. They're going to take the series from us, and we're going to have to hope to salvage the, the uh, Sunday game just to get anything out of the weekend. It's Tommy White again. Singles to right, run scores, bases remain loaded. Then Beloso grounds into a double play. The run scores, but it kind of negates the major inning here. We walk Travinsky to reload the bases, or excuse me, to put runners on the corners, and then we get uh, Joe Bear to strike out swinging. So could have been a very nasty situation there, but KC goes in and kind of minimizes the damage. Really good effort from KC here. Really good effort because he inherits a situation with two on and nobody out. And what's ironic the two runs that score, both of the ones that Hulk will put on base with a hit by pitch. And that's going to happen. You know, sometimes guys just aren't going to have it. And it's what's so unfortunate is the fact that both of them are two-strike counts. I mean, you're a pitch away from retiring both guys, and you put them on, you got to start fresh. Our top of eight, they bring in Thatcher Hurd, and he was the guy, when he went in the portal, I told everybody, he was like, oh, let's go get him. Buyer beware. Buyer beware. He's having a terrible year at LSU. They bring in Thatcher Hurd here. And, again, LSU with a two-run lead on top of eight. Dakota Jordan, this to me, this at-bat right here turned the weekend around. Turned the weekend around. He hits basically a hard-hit ground ball through the left side and never slows down. And, of course, DJ had had a tough weekend to date. Chirping back and forth with the umpire. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not. That's why you have head coach. Who chirps, too. You may not always see it on TV, but he does. But that's his job, to defend his guys. And DJ kind of takes some frustration out here. And, of course, it's, you know, it's a two-run ball game. We're thinking, hey, we, we got to go make something happen here. we got to make some things happen. So DJ never stops. And Trey Morgan, who is a converted first base and play in left field, he was surprised. And the, kind of the rule of thumb is, I'm an old-school guy, right? And uh, there's a lot of the old-school theology when it comes to baseball that is rooted in physics. You know, because baseball is a right-to-left game. You put your foot in the ground. You generate power and energy and things like that. 
when the outfielder drops his offhand, unless he's Hunter Renfro, he cannot throw you out. That's why I always tell everybody, hustle the ball in, crow hop it in. And so Morgan kind of nonchalants it out there. He looks up and DJ's coming. Well, he's already dropped his left arm. So what are you going to You're going to either recalibrate and rethrow. But instead, he basically shot puts it and you know, falls down. It's, it's a crazy play. The whole series kind of turned right here. I think it let LSU know that we were here to fight. But I think also DJ making the extra effort here was letting his team know, hey, this game isn't over. We're fixing to win this thing. Kellum Clark, three pitches later, hits a two-run two home run to left field to tie the ball game. And I can tell you, there were a lot of people in Baton Rouge who thought they'd had their moment, right? The 4-2 thing, oh, this is it. We just got to get them out of here and we're done. No. Kellum had other ideas. Big, big clutch home run here. Now it's a tie ball game. Uh, we bring in Bryce Chance in place of uh, Aaron Downs. He strikes out swinging, but they can't get the uh, they can't complete the play. They drop a third strike, and Chance makes the heads up play here and runs on the first. They walk Luke, Alford then singles to center field, and Chance scores. And Thatcher Hurd is done without retiring a single hitter. Crazy. They go from a 4-2 lead to a 5-4 deficit without retiring a hitter. Uh, they bring in Cooper, Riley Cooper, who has been up and down. Mershon grounds out to the catcher. Kind of a crazy play here. This is that bunt play. Now, seeing it live, I wasn't sure what happened. Seeing it in, on replay, this was a bad call. Mershon's still in the box. He's still in a safe position. They call him out. Larry then reaches on a fielder's choice. They, uh, they force Hancock at, at, uh, at third. And then Ledbetter, the home run, this is the big blow right here. And that's the thing about Riley Cooper. you got this big, massive guy up there. And um, let's just say this is – call this a sourced report. Guys, Riley Cooper tips the changeup. You know, he's this big, burly guy. You don't expect him to have that big changeup. And he does. It's very effective. But let's just say my source has identified a tell with a changeup. And Ledbetter was able to exploit that and hits the home run. Ends up being six runs in the inning for the Bulldogs. State takes an 8-4 to lead. Hines pops up to short. And how big is it for us to be able to, uh, to have a big winning weekend without a huge you know, power surge from Hunter Hines, right? It's good to see the other guys pick him up because you know Hunter will get it going again. Our right, bottom of eight. And you think you're, if you're LSU, it's like, oh, we're down four. got to get base runners. Well, Jones strikes out looking. Thompson doubles down the left field line. Then Duke has grounds to short. But it's two out, runner at third. And then Morgan flies out to center field. You head to the ninth inning. You're thinking, man, if we can get anything here, I think we're okay. But if we can get something here, it kind of changes the dynamic of things because one swing can't tie you. Right? Even if you load the bases and you get up a grand slam, if you're up nine, four, you're a little bit safer. One swing, can't tie the ball game. But give them credit, Jordan strikes out looking, Clark strikes out swinging, and then Bryce Chance kind of guts one out here. 3-1 count, he singles to right center, and then Hancock singles to right field, and then Alford follows with a single to right field, and Chance comes around to score. So three two-out singles here, and State is tacked on a very important insurance run. 
And as we know from our experiences our bullpen, no lead is ever safe. You can't assume anything. It's like at Auburn. You just simply can't assume you've got enough runs. There are never enough runs in the SEC unless you're the, you get the 10, the 10-run rule, right? All right, we bring in Nixon, and I was thinking here, maybe we let KC go. And how many times this year have we done that? And it's been a bit of an adventure, and it's not a shot at KC. It's just the reality of things. We didn't mess around. KC had done his job. He gives us a hold. Gets us out of a biggest situation here. He's not a pitcher of record. We bring in Aaron Nixon. We get a foul out to right field. And I, I do not want to disglaze over this. Dylan Cruz is a right-handed hitter. So Kellum Clark is shaded more towards center, right? That's what the spray chart shows. That Dylan Cruz is a guy. He can work all fields, but he, you know the right field line is normally safe. Guys, Kellum Clark had to run a country mile to get to this ball, and he chases it down in the LSU bullpen right there before the wall. Huge out against a special hitter. Tommy White grounds out the second. You think this thing's going to go quickly. Then Beloso singles up the middle. Malazzo ground ball to third, and uh, Slate's throw pulls us off the bag here. So it creates a little drama, and that's the thing about playing LSU, when you, especially when you play him down there. I mean, I don't know which Bulldog fan touched that voodoo statue in the French Quarter, but it seems like we've been paying for it my whole life. And you kind of felt like, you know what, are we going to go through one of these deals? Are we going to go through this? But no. Kling comes up. He was uh, inserted in the ballgame as a defensive replacement. Ends up having a swing. 2-0 count here. And um, it's a ground out. And we force a runner at second. So we win. 9-4. And everybody's excited. You think, hey, we've won the ball game here. If nothing else, we've come down here and gotten one. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. 
Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And I'm greedy. As excited as I was to get one, I'm thinking, you know what? It was fun to win this one. What if we could win again tomorrow? Nah, surely we can't take the series. Bulldogs pound out 14 hits, get nine runs. The one error comes with two outs in the night, so it was really kind of inconsequential. LSU, four runs on just seven hits. Casey Hunt, your pitcher of record, gets the win, evens his record at two and two. Thatcher Hurd drops at three and two. I'm just going to tell you, if that kid has to, to pitch leverage innings, it's going to be, it's going to be an adventure. Uh, your Bulldog hitting heroes, Colton Ledbetter, two for five with three RBI. Kellum Clark, three for five with a couple of ribbies. Of course, the big, big game-tying home run there. Luke Hancock, three for four in the ballgame. Uh, Slate offered uh, two for five. Of course, uh, Slate's home run, excuse me, uh, Luke's home run tied the ballgame. Uh, so big, 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 big. Big swings. Kate Smith goes six innings pitches, no, gets a no decision. Four hits, two runs, two errors. Excuse me, two earned run. Uh, the five walks, that's kind of problematic right there. And, of course, three of them come in the same inning and lead to a run. That's the thing you think about, man. We just get a little, a little bit better control there in that issue. You know, it, it, it may even be a different ball game. We won. It might not have been close. That's the thing you look at. So much is self-inflicted. Colby Holcomb. Of course, faces two hitters and hits them both. Both of them end up scoring, but Casey picks him up. It's part of baseball. Casey, two innings pitch, just allows two hits, a couple walks, a couple strikeouts. Bulldogs strike out nine, walks seven. And, of course, five of those coming uh, from Kate Smith. Aaron Nixon uh, pitches a perfect ninth of his own volition. Of course, he had the error there. Not his fault. But uh, I guess he allowed one hit. That's true. He did. He allowed one hit. My, my mistake. So, one hit. Uh, Ty Floyd gets a no decision for LSU, six innings pitch, 10 Ks, uh, five hits, and allows just a one run and one walk. Nate Ockenhausen 
Uh, one inning pitch, two hits, one run. We'll see him later in the weekend. That's your herd did not retire hitter. Three hits, five runs, one walk, a strikeout, and a wild pitch. And Riley Cooper, two innings pitch, four hits, two runs, a couple strikeouts. So Bulldogs even the series. We're feeling pretty good about life right now. But, man, just one more, right? Just one more. As bad as this year has been, it'd be a sign of maybe perhaps there is a bit, a bit of a turnaround. And, again, that your team is still engaged. All right, let's take a quick look at game two. This is a wild one. And I'll tell you, the thing about I was the only Mississippi State media person down there. And uh, Ron Polk even mentioned that. I wasn't there Friday. And he goes, hey, you weren't here. There were no Mississippi State media people here. I kind of get it. At the same time, I don't. You know, the job never changes, right? I mean, that's my attitude is this. is you know, we got to cover Mississippi State good, bad, or indifferent. When things are good, we got to be there. When things are bad, we got to be there. That's how I feel. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the minority. Clearly, I am. But I went down there and had a chance to, um, to be treated to the Mississippi State Bulldogs uh, winning a historic series in some respects. But this is a classic game. This is a game that I don't think anybody on either side of this rivalry will ever forget. All right, State uh, takes over here top of one. Uh, Dave Marchand flies out to right, led better strikes out looking. Then Hines is hit by the pitch. I was a little bit concerned at first. You know, he was swinging that hand around. I was worried that maybe it hit him on the wrist or top of the hand, and maybe you've got a, a, bone, a bone bruise or perhaps a broken bone. It looked really bad for a while. He's a tough kid. He's a ball player. And then uh, DJ strikes out swinging. Bottom of one, Drangelo, good start here. Get Dugas to ground out to third. Morgan pops up to short, and Cruz strikes out swinging. So one, two, three inning for Drangelo. A top of second, Clark strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat here. Just foul, 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 and then swinging. Offer flies out the center. They walk Luke on four pitches. And uh, Larry on a three or a two-two pitch, it really looked like he was hit by the pitch. And that's people say, well, even in the box, they're saying, well, I think it got his sleeve. Well, his sleeve is part of him. They review it. They say he didn't get hit by the pitch, and the next pitch is a ball low, so he walks. Ball don't lie. And then Ross Highfield uh, puts the ball in play here. Fielder's choice. Uh, Tommy White steps on the back at third. All right, bottom of second. Tommy White blisters one, and Slade Alford makes uh, maybe two steps to his left and makes the catch here. Beloso then walks. Stravinsky singles to left field and feels like, okay, here we go. And then Joe Bear homers to right center. It's 3 nothing. And I, right now I'm already thinking, you know what, hey, I guess we're going to have to be satisfied with one. Thompson pops up the first, Pearson singles at the middle, and then Dugas strikes out swinging. I remind myself, baseball is a nine-inning game. More times than not. All right, Marshawn walks on four pitches, and then still second. Ledbetter strikes out swinging, and Marshawn takes third. And how many times do you see a guy take third with a left-handed hitter up there? Hines strikes out swinging, and then Jordan doubles down the left-field line. Marshawn scores, makes it 3-1. Clark pops up to short, but State's on the board and back in the game. Uh, Nate Dome comes here in the bottom of third. Nate comes in, and listen, Nate's still not quite 100%, okay, but Nate wants to compete. Nate's not going to hurt himself. But he's not all the way back yet. He's not. Um, but Gerangelo, part of a trio of uh, young players that had a bit of a stomach bug yesterday. So Gerangelo comes out uh, after the second inning. Uh, Nate comes in and immediately gives up a home run to Trey Morgan. Cruz and singles to short, goes to second a wild pitch, wide doubles left center. 
Beloso flies out the right. Trevinsky's hit by the pitch. And it's clear Nate is just not quite right yesterday. So we make the call rather than sit there and just let it get away from us. It's already a 5-1 ball game. And I'm thinking, you know what? Hey, if we get in that bullpen, we still got a chance at 5-1. Joe Bear lines into a double play. An incredible play here by Monty Larry. A diving catch, and you force a runner at second and uh, double Tommy White off on the play. So big inning for LSU could have been much bigger. Nice defense in the Bulldogs there. Our top of four, State climbs right back into this thing. Alford flies out to center field. Then Hancock walks on a full count. Larry is hit by the pitch for the second time. This time he's actually credited with it. Heifel then doubles to left field. Allows Larry to, to advance to third. And Hancock scores a 5-2 ball game. Runners on the corners. And then Mershon singles through the right side. Heifel advances to third. Larry scores. It's 5-3. And you think, hey, we got a chance to tie this thing up right here. They balk us in. We talked about it earlier. You don't see it very often. And, again, and that's the thing, too. If we're going to be critical of Mississippi State's coaches for everything that goes wrong in a ball game, we're going to hold that same standard to LSU. Wes Johnson, this is on you. Multiple balks in a weekend. This one costs you a run. It's now a 5-3 ball game. No, excuse me, 5-4. Ledbetter strikes out swinging. Mershon ends up going to third on a wild pitch. And Hines strikes out swinging. And that's the thing you think about. As big as this inning was, you turn the order over. Mershon gets on here, and then uh, Ledbetter and Hines just can't come through for us. But 5-4 game. We're within one. And you're thinking, okay, well, let's go get a clean inning here. Get back in the dug- dugout, start swinging the bats again. That's not what happens. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like all was lost in this inning. That's how I felt. Uh, Jordan Thompson singles back up the middle. Pearson then walks after a lengthy at-bat. Dugas grounds the ball to third, and um, we throw it away. Run scores. Everybody moves up. Morgan then grounds out to the pitcher. This is, you know, Cole Cheatham's in the ballgame here. Cole fills the position well. Uh, Dylan Cruz in singles through the left side, his first hit, and that's a ball that just narrowly got through the reach of uh, David Marchand there. Uh, White is intentionally walked, pushes uh, Cruz to second to load the bases, and then uh, Beloso, fielder's choice here, pushes the run home. It's 8-7, 8-4, excuse me. Wild pitch, Beloso and White moving around. Travinsky walks, load the bases again. Bases loaded, I believe, third t- three times in the inning. Joe Baird in singles to center field, couple runs score, and eight four felt bad. Ten four felt worse. We bring in Holcomb for Cheatham. Hol- Holcomb walks Thompson, loaded bases again, and we get Pearson to fly out. Terrible inning here. You go up and you put a three spot up on the board and pull yourself within one, and then you go let them put up five, and it really felt like this thing was over. It really did. Top of five. Jordan grounds out in the third, and Clark strikes out swinging. And there's two outs here. And all of a sudden, we get a little bit of a rally going. Alford walks, Hancock singles, and then Larry walks. Bases are loaded, and we have to pull Ross. And I hated this, and a lot of people were automatically critical. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Ross was sick. Like Drangelo and eventually Dakota Jordan, Ross wasn't feeling well. Saw him after the ball game. You know, he was in his scrubs, scrubs, or in his, you know, he was in his sweats. Had a towel around. It's tough to be able to go out there and catch in that heat. Can you imagine catching under all that gear, as hot and humid as it was down in Baton Rouge, and then not feeling well on top of it? That's the situation it was. And trust me, Ross wants to play. And if Ross felt that he could play and not be a detriment to the team, he would. And, of course, he had the big home run against Skeens and a big double 
Ross is going to be just fine. He is. But a lot of people were automatically assuming the worst here, and that wasn't the case. Ross was not in trouble. He wasn't being punished. I read that this morning on Facebook. Why are we punishing Heifel? Why do we always have to assume the negative first? Why do we always have to assume that we're just going to do something stupid or malicious? I mean, come on, give me a break. They bring in Christian Little here, and I was excited about this. You may recall Christian Little was the game two starter against Mississippi State in the NFL Championship Series. We were happy about it then. I was even happier about it now. Maybe that's not right. Maybe I, maybe I was happier then. I was pretty happy to see him. I thought, you know, well, we got a chance to climb back to this ball game if Christian's out here. But he gets down, it's a strikeout swing in it. And to be honest with you, I think one of these pitches was a strike. One. He had one called strike to begin the at-bat. I didn't think it was a strike. Then it's ball, ball, and then we swing the ball up, swing the ball up. I, again, I think he threw one pitch that could, could be considered a called strike in this at-bat. All right, but it's 10-4. And so State, you know, gets a lot going on here and uh, can't cash in here. And then you think, here we go. This That may have been our chance to climb back in it. Our bottom of five, we move some people around. Hancock moves down to catcher downs, takes over at first. And right away, Gavin Dugat doubles down the right field line. Gavin Dugat is really good. And then Trey Morgan homers to right field. It's 12-4. And at this point, there were a lot of people that were thinking, you know what, let's go home. Let's go take mom out for some ice cream. Let's go see grandma, whatever. It was over. It was. And I remember I started doing the math in my head. I said, you know what? We're probably going to be out of here in 30, 40 minutes or so. We're going to be done. It's going to be a 14 to 4 ball game. It was almost a 14 to 4 ball game here. Dylan Cruz in walks, and we bring in Tower Davis. You know, the much maligned Tower Davis has been so inconsistent this year, and there were times I didn't think he'd ever throw a meaningful inning for State. He did it on, on Sunday. He comes in and gets Tommy White to fly out to left. Belazzo flies out to center. Cruz does still second. Trevinsky singles, and Cruz comes around to score, make it 13-4 ball game. They walk Joe Bear, and we get Thompson to foul out of the catcher. Pops up to the catcher. It's 13-4. And, again, a lot of people – Including Mississippi State people, even the truest of the true Maroons, said, well, we're just going to have to be happy we won. Do we need to fire Lamontis? I don't understand how this could happen. We're about to be 10-run rolled, two out of three at LSU. And I'll be honest with you, I had some of the same thoughts. I did. Top of six, State starts climbing back into it. Remember, Christian Little's on the mound. And even then, I'm thinking, you know what? Nine runs, tough to overcome even with Christian Little out there. Um, Rashawn opens things up with a single through the right side. They walk Ledbetter, and then Hines singles through the right side. Rashawn comes around to score. It's 13-5. to Then DJ steps up. The very first pitch he sees, he belts it off the scoreboard at Alex Box Stadium and sat there and admired it for a while. It was an absolute hammer job. And all of a sudden, it's 13-8, and you start thinking, okay, well, at least we're going to play nine, right? And that was the talk among the press corps of the LSU media as well. I guess we're going to have to play nine now. They bring in Blake Monty, a guy that they feared here a few weeks ago, maybe done for the year. Congratulations to him for recovering and kind of getting back out there. First thing he does is walk Kelvin Clark on four pitches. Offered and pops up to third. Hancock singles to the right side. You get runners on the corner. So, again, a chance here for, you know, you've already put up four with nobody out. A chance here to add on more and kind of get a little closer. And then Amani Larry grounds into double double play. Ground ball to Tommy White. They turn it. 
5-4-3. But a four spot in the inning, all of a sudden you're kind of within striking distance. Again, your one swing can't tie it, but you start thinking, you know what? There's plenty of ball game left. We still got nine outs to work with. And what does TD come out there? TD comes out there and gives you a one, two, three inning. Pearson strikes out swinging. Dugai grounds out the short. Morgan Morgan flies out the right field. And I will tell you this, too. I mean, the only, the only place is worse than LSU's Ole Miss when it comes to this. Guys, any ball at Alex Box Stadium, any ball that is hit in the air, that clears the infield, they cheer like Warren Morris just hit another home run. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, there will be times like Kellum Clark is under the ball 50 feet from the wall, and they're all like, ah, guys, come on. Goodness. All right, so we get to the top of seven here. State's, you know, against a five-run ball game for now. Aaron Downs opens up with a fly out to left. Mershon singles to left. Four hits on the day for the kid. Ackenhausen makes his second appearance of the weekend in place of Blake Money. He wild pitches Mershon to second, then Ledbetter walks. And then Hunter Hines comes up and pulls a double down the right field line that allows uh, Ledbetter and Mershon to score. All of a sudden, it's like 13-10. What? And I start thinking, well, if nothing else, we're going to make this look respectable. They bring in Collins for Ackenhausen. Imagine Alkenhausen's not excited to see them over resting time soon. Uh, Hines goes to third on a wild pitch, and then Jordan singles to the left side, and Hines scores his 13-11. Connor Isaac had to pinch run for Jordan. This is when DJ – I remember when they, they were flashing to the dugout, and Stone is like signaling to the dugout we need a pinch runner. And I was like, man, I want to take DJ out of here. We need DJ to hit a tank and win this ballgame. Connor Isaac comes in. Uh, Callum strikes out swinging, but Isaac does still second in the middle of that. And then Slate Alford, who I thought hit a home run earlier in the weekend, and they reviewed it and said it was foul. I think whatever was called on the field was going to stand because the ball was so high. But he pulls this one just inside the foul pole and left, and is now a tie ball game. And let me tell you this, it was like we were in church. Alex Box Stadium is a place with a great atmosphere, especially when things are going good. These people were absolutely shocked. I was shocked, as many of you were as well. And I thought, listen, I don't know how this thing's going to turn out today. But I admire the tenacity of the Bulldogs. Hancock grounds out the first on an 0-2 count. But all of a sudden, it's a tie ball game. Bottom of seven, TD goes right back out there. Single, we give up an infield single. Ball hit back toward the middle. Amani did a great job just to get to it. Just nothing there. I mean, you know, you make the throw, but there's nothing there. And then White grounds into a double play. Pretty crazy play here. Amani gets it and is able to tag the runner and then throw to first. You don't see that happen very often. But he and Cruz were in such close proximity. Amani makes a great play here. And then Beloso grounds out to second. All right, top of eight. State with a chance to take the lead here. And we, and we should have. We should have. Amani Larry doubles down the left field line, open things up. Downs flies out to left. And then Rashawn walks. Ledbetter singles to right field, and we thought it was a home run. And uh, we only get a single, and nobody scores because uh, we didn't read it right. That's Amani's call right there. Now, I'll be honest with you. What I always taught my guys is you go halfway until we read it. it's going to be a catch. And the granted, the ball is tailing away from the right fielder here, which means it's away from Amani's uh, line of vision. 
but we got to work together here and we got to make sure because if he goes halfway he's going to score easily right we may even get two he's certainly going to score well it ends up being the longest single in the history of Alex Box Stadium bases remain loaded and then Hines strikes out looking and Isaac pops up to third baseman so we get nothing and at this point I thought we're going to waste this heroic comeback and we're going to lose this ball game because they're going to walk us off TD goes out there and gives you one, two, three inning again. Jones pops up to short. Joe Bear strikes out swinging. Thompson pops up to the second baseman. It's a soft contact from the Tigers. Top of nine. Stay goes one, two, three. And I thought, well, here we go. I've seen this before. They're going to rip our hearts out. And there's a part of me, it's like, well, you know, at least it's not a 10-run rule, right? Clark strikes out looking. Offer the grounds out to short. Hancock flies out to left. And you just kind of felt like, you know what? We've got to have something happen. Casey comes in and it wasn't sharp. He walks Pearson on, on uh, four pitches and then gets a, gets a 2-0 count here. And you think, okay, they're trying to give you the bunt here. They're trying to get a bunt down. Let's just let them do it. We, we just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. They had put Napolt in for Gavin Duga, which is a, clearly a mistake here. I'm just going I'm just, I'm to call it right. I said at the time, why are they doing this? Why are you pinch hitting here? Nevertheless, uh, he gets it down with a full count. I honestly think that that ball may have rolled foul, but you got to, it's a split decision there. You can't run the risk of that. When you've let it roll as far, far as you have, you, you, you know, you got to make a judgment call right there. You pick it up and tag the hitter and be done with it. If you let it keep rolling, it stays fair. All of a sudden, they got two guys on. You only need one to score, but the reality of it is you take the out. Morgan flies out to center field, and off the bat, people act like, again, You'd think he'd hit it to Port Allen. That thing is well short of track. Runner tags and takes third. We intentionally walk Cruz and intentionally walk White. Well, there's no point walking Cruz if you're not going to walk White, right? Absolutely the best, best, best decision here. You're thinking, hey, well, Steve, we just need, um, we just need an out. Well, but who, who is more likely to give me the out? I got two bases to work with here. Do I want to pitch to Dylan Cruz? Well, no, I really don't. He's had a bad weekend. He could change the complexion of his weekend by walking us off to win the series. I don't want that guy beating me. Tommy White's been the toughest out of the weekend. I got a base, I got a base for him, too. I can park him out there at first, and I can throw it to Malazzo. You mean I got one guy I can pick out of those three between Cruz, White, and Malazzo? Who do you want to pitch to? Well, you don't want to pitch Dylan Cruz. The guy's going to probably be the number two pick in the draft. Tommy Tanks, you want to pitch to him? Let him hit a three-run tank and walk you off? No. I'm going to pitch to Malazzo. It's a lesser of three evils, and it's not even close. You got two superstars, and you got a good college player. Give me that guy. So great decision by Lamonis, and what happens? We get a foul out the first. They leave him loaded. Top of the tenth, Amani had that base running blunder. Atones for it, and they had a great game. He really did, especially defensively. Larry singles through the left side, and he's down 1-2 in this count. Works it way back, pulls it through the left side. Now, all of a sudden, the go-ahead run is on. Aaron down strikes out looking. Mershon, again, singles to center field, which pushes Larry to third. Runners on the corners. So, the go-ahead run is at third. Little insurance at first. Ledbetter at the plate. Ledbetter grounds the ball to first. Kind of a chopper out to first. They try to turn to the throw from first to second is offline. Had nothing to do with David Marchand. 
if you go back and look at that, Dave basically kind of gives himself up there. Like he, he kind of recognizes the situation and has the baseball acumen to understand, I don't need to have any contact here, even though I'd love to go break this double play up. That's a go-ahead run going home. Very good and mature decision by the freshman here. Gives himself up, but the throw is offline, so they can't turn two. As a result, Ledbetter is safe. Larry scores the go-ahead run here. They challenge it, ask for runner interference. There absolutely was not, but you gotta, you got to try, right? I mean, it, it, I think it took like 10 seconds. It's like, no. Uh, Heinzen reaches on a throwing error here. LSU didn't give us a whole lot defensively. I think I honestly think this LSU defense is uh, not nearly as good as what Paul Maneri had. Uh, the LSU defenses under Maneri never gave you anything. I, I think these guys are limited range-wise compared to maybe some of their predecessors in purple and gold. It's just me. I think you're kind of trading defense for offense. Isaac strikes out swinging, but now State has the lead. Aaron Nixon's on the mound, and you're thinking, hey, it's a one-run lead on the road against a shocked LSU team that has kind of lost it at the plate over the course of the last few innings. We got our guy out there. Second day in a row. It's hot. Sun's beating down. His face is purple. He's so hot. He gets Jones to strike out swinging on a slider. Really good at bat here. And, and we get down 3-1 in the count and uh, throw a couple of nasty sliders. And uh, the Jones kid's going to be a star at LSU, but he cannot recognize spin. He is very susceptible to the slider. We walk Joe Bear. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. That's a time run on. They pinch run here, put a guy in with good speed because you figure anything in the gap they're going to try to score. Great play here. And we always talk about coaching, right? It's if we're going to attribute negative things to coaching, we also have to attribute positive things to coaching. So Thompson, Jordan Thompson, a little bit hit and run action here, right? Uh, Fry, uh, Fry takes off from first, runner goes. It's a fly ball. However, Dave Marchand and Amani Larry play it like it's going to be a double play ball. They play it like it's a ground ball. So all of a sudden, Fry is thinking, I got to go in hard. I got to make it. At least I got to break up his double play. But instead, he didn't realize the ball is in the air. And Kellum Clark has it, and we doubled him off. And it was a close play. That play does not happen without the play of Amani Larry and Dave Marchant at the back. It's the game within the game. It's one of the most romantic things about baseball. There's so many moving parts on every single play. And here you've got two guys, not even part of the play, executing something very special that led to a double play to end the ball game and clinch a series win for Mississippi State at LSU. Real quick, you look inside the numbers here. We're going to have to hustle today to get this show done. I'm not going to keep you long. I'm just excited about winning these ball games. All right, look inside the numbers here. Mershon, four for five on the day. Outstanding. Guys, he got on base six times. Two walks, four hits. Let's get it done, David. Uh, Colton Ledbetter, one for five in a ball game. Uh, Hunter Hines had a tough Friday and Saturday, had uh, two for six and uh, three RBI in the ball game. scored a couple runs, too. Dakota Jordan, five RBI on the day on a three-for-five day. Uh, Kellum Clark, 0 for five. But, you know, Kellum, good defense and had a good Friday and Saturday for us, or a good Saturday for sure. Uh, Slate Offer is one for five, the big home run. Uh, Hancock, two for four. Amani, two for three with a couple of walks as well. And was hit by a pitch. Ross Highfield, one for two. 
And the pitching numbers here, Durangelo just goes two innings, three hits, three runs. Of course, the big fly, uh, the, the big blow there for the Tigers. Two strikeouts, the one walk. Nate comes in, just didn't have it, and that's okay. Other guys picked him up. Nate will be better for it next week. Uh, this goes a third of an inning, three hits, two runs. Uh, Cole Cheatham, one and a third. Not a good outing for him. He's had some good ones. Uh, but uh, three hits, five runs, two of them earned, uh, three walks, wild pitch. Colby Holcomb, you know, back-to-back days, things were just not good. They weren't. And that's okay. We get high hopes for him. But Tyler Davis comes in. In a game, in a game that looked, the bullpen may not be able to hold it, right? And Tyler Davis gives you the best performance of his Bulldog career. Four innings pitch, two hits, no runs, one walk, two Ks. Very efficient in his work. Threw 52 pitches, which is the most of any Bulldog pitcher. Not credited with the victory, obviously, but we don't win this ball game without him. KC comes in and uh, throws a handful of pitches and uh, couldn't get anything done. Nixon comes in and is credited with the win. Uh, two innings pitched, three walks. Two of those, of course, are intentional. Gets a strikeout. And uh, Bulldogs threw 202 pitches. I want you to do 217. And what's interesting when you look at this ball game too, LSU scored in um, you know four of the five, four of the first five innings. They score in the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and then don't score the rest of the ball game. In the final five innings of the game, State outscores LSU ten to nothing. You talk about a battle of the bullpens. We've been on the other end of that more times than we can count. And so the Bulldogs win it, and they take the series. Absolutely incredible. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. If you lose track of that, hit me up on social media. I'm happy to give you the link or give you his phone number. Matter of fact, I had somebody just uh, Friday hit me up and said, Hey, Steve, what's your mortgage guy's number? Happy to do it. That's why we do this, is to bring people together. Blair is a mortgage professional, 22 years of experience, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Top 1% close ratio in the country. You could entrust your mortgage to a lot of people. You really could. But here's the deal. You need to get somebody involved that's going to get you to the closing table. That's what Blair does. Nobody, nobody is going to do a better job for you than Blair Chandler. Nobody. Again, 22 years of experience. I mean, you don't, you don't get to be top 1% by accident. And maybe... Somebody can do it one year on a fluke, but to do it three years in a row, that's a mortgage professional. Reach out to Blair at CloseToBlair.com or let me give you a cell number. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And uh, let him know you heard about him on the Boneyard. He'll be glad to know that. Let him know that his advertising is working. Works a fairway mortgage, a very reputable mortgage lender. I got to get things done. Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. Okay, uh, today is the 30-year anniversary of uh, my wife and I getting married. Yeah, that's right. I thought about doing top 10 uh, marital tips. Um, some days I don't feel qualified to do that. I mean, sometimes you stay together because you love each other, and sometimes you stay together because it's easier. And uh, I can tell you that uh, staying together 30 years is not easy. But it's not just staying together. It's being in love. And uh, I know, listen, I, I, I see a couple of your little comments out there, too. I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to be me, okay? And so there are going to be times I'm going to talk about my personal life. I'm going to talk about my recovery. I'm going to talk about my kids. I'm going to talk about the love 
uh, of my life, and it's my show. I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about on this show, and I'm going to. And for every one of those little negative comments, I got about 70 or 80 that are very positive. I have some people that say, Steve, I love knowing about your life, knowing a little bit something uh, about your past. And I have been through so much in life, all of us have in some respects, and maybe me more than most because of some poor decisions that I've made. But I would be doing a disservice to my recovery uh, and to God to not share that information with other people. I would hope that you would put some strength in my own experiences rather than have to go do that for yourself. So you know what? It didn't work for him. It's not going to work for me. And it's not. I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, But of of all the things that I have been in life, I have been in so many things. uh, Being in love is the best. It absolutely is. And I do. I love my wife. And uh, last year, one of the most difficult years of my life, probably the most difficult year of my life. It was. It was terrible. It was. And thankfully, uh, I'm not having to deal with that anymore. And uh, as I share with you guys, programming note, I will be in, uh, in Chattanooga most of this week to celebrate our 30-year anniversary trip together. Going to take a little bit of a, another honeymoon. We're going to go to Chattanooga, have a good time. And uh, if you're going to the Bad Omen show Thursday night at The Signal, I'll be there. And so will she. We're going to have a great time. Go to Ruby Falls, do all that good stuff. Go do the things that couples do. And just enjoy being together. And uh, 30 years is a long time. It has. So I thought today, rather than be, you know, no love songs today, but we're going to go back to, um, you know, the, the rock songs of 93. I know we've done something similar I tried to find the Billboard list closest to May the 15th to kind of put this together. A couple songs I wanted to put on here uh, that I just said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. We're going to be true to the list here. So top 10 rock songs of 93. And again, it may be similar to what we've done in the past, and that's okay. But these songs, many of these were kind of the soundtrack of our lives back then, and at least for me and Dana. We lived at 215 North 34th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. The house not there anymore. The university bought that land and made it a parking lot. But it was paradise for us for a while. We didn't have central air and heat. We had space heaters. We had no air. Put up those box fans in the window. At night, we were, so, we were broke as the Ten Commandments that we would, uh, we had to spray off on to go to bed. So those Mississippi skeeters didn't carry us away. But we were together. We were happy. We were in love. We still are. All right, so here you go. In honor of my 30-year anniversary, here are my top 10 rock songs from 93, from around that time. Number 10, and there's a couple of these I just wanted to get on here because I love them, and, and I don't think you guys know them as well. And that's your, your number 10, number 9 songs. Number 10, a band called Cry of Love. And they were great. They were absolutely great. And uh, we're going with the, the great song, Bad Thing. No more of a bad thing. That is a really, really cool song. And uh, if you don't know it, I want you to check it out. It's out the album, album Brother. They had a big hit, too, also called Peace Pipe. Not, not, not quite what I would want. It was a good song, but, um, but to me, Robert Mason's shiny moment. Robert Mason, now the uh, vocalist for Warrant. How about that? He left Cry of Love, went to Lynch Mob, replaced Ani Logan in the Tangled in the Web, self-titled album. Ani, of course, was with uh, Wicked Sensation, and then came back. A lot of people prefer that second Lynch Mob album. I don't. It's a good album, but uh, you're going back. 
Yeah, Robert doing a great job for a long time. Again, Cry of Love's bad thing, number 10 on the list. Number nine, it's Brother Kane's God No Shame. Had a chance to see them with John Karabi here last year over in Huntsville. It's a great show. I know a lot of people over there love those guys. They do, and they should. It's a great track. God No Shame. Nice, upbeat track. Number eight, a band that I saw open for Pearl Jam down in New Orleans. It's Urge Overkill. And we're going with the great track, Sister Havana. We've had that on our list before, too. I remember going, before we got to watch them play, and I love that Urge Overkill album, I do. And when they were opening for Pearl Jam, and we had our daily counter, like I put, I, I made the little sticky notes and wrote that every day I'd get up and tell how many days it was to go to Pearl Jam. And uh, they played three shows down in New Orleans. And we were there the night that uh, Eddie Vedder and Jack McDowell got arrested at Pat O'Brien's after the show. But Urge Overkill opened, and I said before, I, I knew that album start to finish, because you know, nowadays everything is so single-serving, right? Everybody's like, well, I, know, I love the song. I love the album. And the song, I said, they're going to open with Crack Babies. And everybody's like, oh, you think they're going to open with the song Crack Babies? And they did. And everybody looked at me like I was some kind of insider. I just, you know, it wasn't just a guess. It made sense to me. But Urge Overkill, Sister Havana, great track. Number seven, an album that was actually released in 91, but it found notoriety in 93. Once Pearl Jam uh, and Soundgarden both kind of rose to prominence, the album Temple of the Dog, dedicated to the memory of uh, Chris Cornell's former best friend, Andrew Wood, former lead singer of Mother Love Bone that uh, died of a heroin overdose. Very sad story, but a uh, great track called Say Hello to Heaven, which is actually the second single on the album. Hunger Strike is the one you all know, but Say Hello to Heaven is an amazing song. Lyrically, it's uh, some of Chris Cornell's best work. Number six, from one of the better albums from the 90s, The New Miserable Experience. I got a good friend of mine that tells me that uh, that album pulled him back into modern rock at the time. It's a great track, Hey Jealousy from the Jim Blossoms. That album in its entirety is fabulous. Fabulous. And Doug Hoskins, one of the greatest singwriter, songwriters of our generation, sadly was also a... Uh, a hopeless alcoholic who killed himself. It's a very tragic story. I encourage you to check it out. They're actually making a documentary based on this short story called Jesus of Suburbia. It's about the life of Doug Hoskins. But uh, look for that at some point. I don't know when it's coming out, but uh, I'm excited to see it. Every so often I go read that story, and it reminds me I've got a lot of work to do as a writer because the writing and phrasing of that is absolutely phenomenal. Number five, it's Dave Perner and the guys from Soul Asylum, and uh, a lot of people love them. I love that song, uh, Somebody to Shove, but they reached notoriety basically for more of their more melodic work, and Runaway Train became kind of synonymous with missing children in America. They ran that song a lot. Kids would run away and get abducted, get involved in trafficking, sometimes get killed. Uh, the video itself, if I remember correctly, the video, of course, had like actual missing kids in there. So it was like you ran the, you watched the video, and it was basically, you know, a PSA to be on the lookout for some missing children. Number four, off the Versus album, we mentioned Pearl Jam earlier. And how can you talk about the early 90s and not mention Pearl Jam? They are the quintessential 90s band. I like the Harder Edge of Soundgarden, but how could you deny the influence of, of Pearl Jam? And um, to be honest with you, a lot of my angst about Nirvana is about the beef that Pearl Jam and Nirvana had even back then. I, I came down on the side of the more talented band, Pearl Jam, but it's a great track, Daughter, which was a Dennis Rodman favorite, for those of you that know. 
All right, number three. This, another one of those albums that I can put on and listen to from start to finish. And it didn't have to be a radio single that I'm familiar with. Just the vibe of the entire album is phenomenal. Uh, it's uh, probably one of the biggest influences in my life as far as uh, hair. Yeah, it's Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way? It's a song about Jesus Christ. Were you aware of that? Yeah, it, it, it is. The video is phenomenal. The, the, the percussion's phenomenal. But that riff... That riff is one of those driving riffs that'll, that'll make you push the, thr the throttle all the way to the floor. It's already going to go my way. Number two, we love this album, and of course they uh, have a lot of ties to Mississippi. Matter of fact, uh, we've got a, a couple of Jeans Page subscribers that played in bands and supported this wonderful band, Blind Melon. And when you talk Blind Melon, you got to talk about the B-Girl and it's No Rain. Number two, No Rain. It's not my favorite Blind Melon song. Probably my wife's favorite Blind Melon song. But uh, Tones of Home, and, and uh, for me, it's change. change is my favorite. I just love the fact that um, Shannon Hoon's voice is just, it sounds so genuine and authentic. There's just, to me, there's, there's nothing contrived in any of that vocal delivery. But No Rain, number two. But number one for me, and this is a song, my mother-in-law is the one that kind of turned me on to this song, believe it or not. It's off the Get a Grip album from Aerosmith. It recently announced their last tour. And I don't know if we'll make it out or not. I don't know. Um, but the song Amazing, and I, I've actually broken this song down. To this day, there are some days this song will hit me just right, and I get emotional because I'm so incredibly grateful to be alive, and I'm so incredibly grateful to be sober. I'm so incredibly grateful to still be married. There's so many things in my life that could have gone wrong over the last 30 years that haven't. And uh, I'm going to give myself a lot of credit for that, for doing the things that I'm supposed to do. None of this has happened to me by chance. I've had to get out and work for it. I've had to do my work, as they say. But the song, Amazing, it's a song of gratitude for me. And that's what it's about. And Desmond Child wrote that with Stephen Tower. And Stephen Tower said they were on their way to dinner. And they were talking about their own recovery. And he made a comment. You know, he says, man, I, I kept the right ones out, let the wrong ones in. And immediately, or Desmond Child said that. And immediately, Stephen Tower said, I had an angel of mercy to see me through all my sin. And the whole thing came together. They run back to the studio. They put it down. They record it. And next thing you know, it becomes this amazing song. The video, of course, has Alicia Silverstone in it, which is great. But the video doesn't match the song at all. And like at the end, when uh, Stephen Tower says, the light at the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel may be you. It's true. Uh, but this is one of those songs that gets to me, man. It does. It's one of those songs in my life that, uh, that hits me maybe in a spot that I'm not ready to show the world at times. And uh, it's one of those things, too, when, I, when I'm feeling maybe sorry for myself. One of the things they teach us to do in recovery is you know, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves is to go do something for somebody else or to put a gratitude list together and write down all the things you're grateful for. And this listening to this song is kind of part of that. When I listen to this song, it changes my mood. It changes my outlook on life. And... Um, that part at the end where he's scatting and he says, I know, I know, that's me. I know. I know what you're dealing with. I've been there. I've been through it, and I can promise you you're going to get through it. So there you go. Some love talk, some family talk, and some recovery talk mixed in with your Mississippi State talk. Uh, you may not always like it, but you learn to live with it. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. You can uh, find Roy on all forms of social media at dogmatic67, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, and find me at Scout Steve R. Uh, find our great list also on Spotify 
at Dogmatic67. Give Roy a follow. He would appreciate it. Makes it easier for those listeners to kind of auto-populate uh, down to your listening device. Thanks to Roy, as always, for all he does to help with the top ten list. All right, next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a stark building and institution. We appreciate their contributions to our wonderful community here. So many smiling faces going and coming and facilitating your transactions there at Campus Bookmart. Go by and see them, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam Menyard. Everybody up there will do a great job for you. If you can't make it to town to entertain them, Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Mom, it's time to start thinking about those game day outfits. You know it's going to be hot. We need to dress warm or cool, I guess depending on how you look at it. But uh, you need to be thinking about that. The kids have grown. They need some fresh gear. It's always good to get those new jerseys and debut them in a season opener. Again, it's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at the weekend it was in the Southeastern Conference. Tough weekend for a lot of people. You know, of course, uh, you know, the Thursday game gets postponed. and We broke down the um, – the Friday games on the Saturday show, you know, with, uh, you know, Auburn had already taken the series. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, of course, uh, gets shelled by Florida. Tennessee beats Kentucky. Missouri beats Georgia. Not good for us. A&M beats Alabama 11-5. Arkansas beats South Carolina 4-1. And, of course, Auburn takes two of three. State loses 12-1 at LSU. We get into Saturday's games. A little bit different deal. Tennessee takes care of Kentucky again 10-7. A big win for Tennessee, obviously, as they get over 500 in SEC play. Alabama uh, just really destroys A&M in a run-ruled game, 12-1. to Alabama with 12 hits. All of a sudden, they fire Brad Bohannon and they catch fire. Auburn, of course, completes the sweep of Ole Miss, 13-5, to 20 hits in the ballgame for the Tigers. Missouri outlasts Georgia, 14-12. to Again, not a great result for Mississippi State, but it does kind of start pulling Georgia back into striking distance. Florida, 6-2 winners over Vanity. They take the series. Of course, your Bulldogs uh, win the second game to even a series at LSU. And in South Carolina, forces a rubber match on Sunday with Arkansas. Let's get into our Sunday numbers here. You know, this time of year, we're all doing scoreboard watching. Florida takes... uh, Two out of three from Vanderbilt, which is a nice result for for Florida. I picked them second in the East. I thought Tennessee would be much better. Vanderbilt, however, has surprised a little bit. But uh, Florida, down in Gainesville, getting things done. Missouri completes a sweep of Georgia, which makes them both 10 and 17. We didn't think that would happen. But nevertheless, give Missouri some credit for taking care of business. They, they're they a much different team at home in the month of May with that wind blowing out. They're up on that hill. Georgia had a chance to put it away. They, they weren't able to do so. Kentucky bounces back to salvage one on the weekend, a 10 nothing uh, defeat of Tennessee. Did you ever think you'd see Tennessee getting shut out? Well, Kentucky did it. Tennessee takes the series two games to three, but Kentucky now 15-12 and, and assured of doing no worse than 500 in league play. 
Mississippi State in 10 innings takes care of LSU 14-13 to take a series. And then Arkansas wins the series against South Carolina uh, 5-1. Arkansas now 19-8. And then Alabama absolutely destroyed A&M again 11-0. And that's in College Station. So the Aggies will be headed this way this weekend. Let's take a look at the schedule. Uh, already some news, of course, that um, the Austin P game with Ole Miss has been canceled. I think Ole Miss is just kind of ready to get this thing over with. Uh, Western Carolina, Tuesday night, no games tonight. Western Carolina uh, at Georgia on Tuesday. Belmont is at Tennessee. Middle Tennessee will be at Vanderbilt. North Alabama, of course, in Starkville, Duty Noble Field. That's a 6 p.m. first pitch. Jacksonville State is at Auburn. Charlotte at South Carolina. McNeese at LSU. Now, this should be a week that we take care of business as a league. Everybody will be in action, of course, on Thursday as they get ready to get pitching kind of lined up for next weekend. LSU is at Georgia. Florida at Kentucky. Arkansas at Vanderbilt. Tennessee at South Carolina. A&M at Mississippi State. Missouri at Auburn. Ole Miss at Alabama. So the, the games you're watching – we really need LSU to go sweep a Georgia. Now, Georgia offensively is a bit challenged. That is doable. We need a Georgia to lose all three to LSU. It wouldn't hurt us if Auburn could sweep Missouri. Missouri, a much different team, you know, away from their ballpark. Much different. And Auburn's red hot, right? I mean, that's just kind of the reality of life. But after what we saw from LSU this weekend, you think, man, what can we expect? Well, you know what you can expect in game one. It's Paul Skeens to get a win for you. But we really need, you know, we don't need to depend on one thing. We need to depend on everybody here. So we need, we really are, are, are Tiger fans this week in addition to Bulldog fans. Uh, looking at Missouri baseball, they are 7-12 and 12 away from home. 7-12 and 12, uh, away from home. And uh, that includes, obviously, you know, a series earlier this year, a four-game series that they went 3-1 and one against at Florida International. A little different deal in league play. A little bit different, right? In conference, they're 10-17 and 17 overall, and, of course, they've won three in a row. But you start working this thing down here. You know, they, they sweep Tennessee at their place, and then they go on the road. They get swept at South Carolina. They get swept at Kentucky. Uh, I'm just scrolling through here as we're talking. Uh, they get swept at Florida. And then they go play Auburn. So in every SEC road series this year, if memory serves me correct, they've been swept. So we need that to happen again. We need Auburn to sweep them. We need LSU to sweep Georgia. And so looking at the standings, because people are like, oh, we don't have a chance. No, we, we have a chance, but we, we don't have any margin for error. The Bulldogs are now 8-19. we got to win this series to make anything possible. Of course, if we sweep, all bets are off, right? But we need Missouri and Georgia to give us a little margin for error here. Again, we are two games behind both of them, so we have to be one better, one game better. So what we need is one of them to get swept, and at the very least, us take two of three, which sets up a tiebreaker. And at this point, we don't know what the tiebreaker would be because it's based on the highest divisional opponent in the league, or in common. 
And so right now, if we end up tied with Missouri and it ends up being Arkansas, you know, of course, Arkansas swept us, not good for us. Vanderbilt, it's not good for us. They swept us. We really need South Carolina uh, to be an opponent there. But, um, again, there's a lot of variables to this. But in order for State to make Hoover, and we still can, but in order for us to do that, we have to win this series against A&M. We have, have to. If we sweep the series and Missouri or Georgia get swept, then we get in automatically because we would have 11 wins. They would still have 10. So, yes, it's still doable. And then if we end up in a tie with Missouri or Georgia, it goes to a series of tiebreakers. Would you put your money on Auburn beat Missouri at home? I would, especially consider Missouri has not won an SEC road game all year. Knowing our luck, they'll win one. Georgia, would you expect an angry LSU team to be able to go in there and sweep them? Maybe asking a lot, but it's certainly possible. So we'll just take it one game at a time. Right now the Bulldogs need to go take care of the Lions in North Alabama, and then we'll get ready to play on Thursday. Now, again, reminder, I will not be at Duty Noble Field this weekend uh, covering Mississippi State and A&M. Dave Murray is coming in and going to fill in for me, so we'll still have full coverage over jeanspage.com. I just won't be a part of it. I'll be celebrating uh, the anniversary trip uh, with my lovely bride. But I think it's important to make sure you understand you know, things may be a little bit different this week. For sure. Uh, I will get up Friday. I plan to get up Friday morning and record the show. You know, I kind of wrap up Thursday's game and preview the rest of the weekend. So we'll give you an update basically, uh, you know, throughout the weekend of kind of where things stand. But State really – it's a three-team race now for the final spot. Ole Miss has officially been eliminated from Hoover. The only team to be eliminated from Hoover. Because of the fact, there are four games out of Georgia and Missouri. Georgia and Missouri, of course, tied for that 12th spot. Of course, it's a tiebreaker there. But with only three, game, three SEC games left to play, it is impossible for Ole Miss to catch them. So Ole Miss will not be in Hoover. Really, the only mystery when it comes to the West is who will finish last. And State now with a two-game lead over Ole Miss, like that means anything. But, hey, if somebody's got to finish last, even in a bad year, I hope it's not us. My point being is that we still have a little something left to play for. We still have a chance to get to Hoover. And based on what you saw from the Bulldogs this weekend, you think, hey, maybe there's a little spark here late. We've been here before, though, and we've seen things kind of go cattywampus on us. We don't really hope that's the case. But uh, but look at the overall standings here. Uh, Florida leads the East. They're tied with Vanderbilt, but they hold the tiebreaker. They're 17-9. South Carolina, 15-11. Kentucky, 15-12. Tennessee, 14-13. Missouri, 10-17. Georgia, 10-17. And in the West, and leading the SEC is Arkansas, 19-8. They're in pretty good position now to win the SEC championship. Who, who had that happening? I said beginning of the year, I thought Arkansas was better than most people. I didn't expect them uh, to win the West. I thought LSU would. And they, and they still can. But they're a game and a half up on LSU. LSU holds a tiebreaker, but there can't be a tie without some weather. Auburn 14-13, and 13, Alabama 13-14, and 14, uh, Texas A&M 12-15. And, and all those teams obviously well out of sh- uh, shouting distance for us. But uh, so that's your your rooting interest this weekend is Mississippi State, whoever plays Ole Miss, LSU, 
and Auburn. That's who you're pulling for all weekend long. All right, final segment of the show brought to you as always by the fine folks at Portico. Our friend Brooks Bryan, great friend of mine, great friend of yours, great friend of Mississippi State, part of a great group of developers bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two, under development now. Many of those homes are sold. Still some room for you to get in there, though, right? 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Turn off 82 on 12, like going to campus. Very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through that four-way stop, there's Portico on your right. Give yourself a self-guided tour next time you're in town. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did. Whether it be your primary residence, your second home, future retirement home, an investment property, whatever you're looking for, Portico has a way to meet your needs. Hit our friend Brooks up at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And, you know, it's, it's a ladder of awareness type deal, right? When you get ready to move up here, you're thinking, I don't know where to move. Well, I'm telling you, you move to Portico. Make Portico your next move. Okay, uh, a couple weeks now, we'll be getting going here for football camps, right? That's a big content opportunity for us over at jeanspage.com. Paul and I are really excited about this, obviously, because it, a lot of times it gives us our first look at some of these up-and-coming players. A chance for us to see them work out, watch them interact with the coaches. So kind of give you a schedule here. Our first camps uh, begin June 3rd. The first camp is June the 3rd. And that's a ninth grade and up camp. And you, yes, your, your ninth grader can come too. You can go to the uh, healthstatecamps.com website slash football. And you can come to the June 3rd camp. There will be another camp on June the 6th. And then followed up on June the 8th and 10th. There will be a specialist camp also on June 10th. So if you are a, uh, a kicker, a punter, a long snapper, that's a one-day camp at $75. Most other camps are 40 bucks. So it's not unreasonable. June 11th, we'll have another uh, prospect camp, June the 15th, and then June 17th. Uh, so be thinking about that. A lot of camp days ahead as we begin to kind of break this thing down here. It's going to be uh, seven camp days during the month of June. And we'll do our best to provide you full coverage every day. You know, don't know how many commitments and new offers and things like that we're going to get. But that's a big part of what we do during the summertime. So we look forward to that. Of course, uh, there's a lot that you got to do. Uh, the best thing to do is to register online. Save yourself a lot of time and effort when, before you get here. You know, obviously, you can register at the door. But all that said, you're going to save some waiting and some standing around by registering online. And many of you want your young person to have an opportunity to come work out in front of the Mississippi State coaches, even if it's just for the experience. Like, even if you know they don't have hopes of playing in the Southeastern Conference, but you want them to get some, some instruction, you want them to have an opportunity to have a great experience, to practice on the Mississippi State practice fields, have a chance to do that. And again, go to hellstatecamps.com forward slash football. And if you're not a football person, of course, you can find uh, other camps that are available. But that will be, you know, kind of the crux of our activity over the course of the next several weeks once baseball ends. And now that semester is over, everybody will take a little bit of a break. And they'll get back to work. It's going to be hot out there. Prepare. Hydrate ahead of time. And if you're not a Jeans Page member, you should be. If, you, if you're a recruit, Nick, you probably already are. But if you're not a recruit, Nick, or maybe, you're not, don't, maybe you are and don't know it yet, uh, we're going to give you wall-to-wall coverage. Nobody else in the industry is going to give you better coverage than we're going to give you at this camp. 
and uh, that'll run, of course, uh, you know, most of the month of June. And then we'll have uh, content opportunities, and we'll filter those interviews out over the course of uh, you know several days. You know, we'll get it out there for you, kind of give you a chance to kind of get to know the players and kind of know what they're what they're considering. And we do expect some commitments. Uh, there has not been a big push. Of course, there are some guys that could, if they called to commit today, that Mississippi State would obviously take them. But there hasn't been a big push for early commitments. And you expect some of that, too, especially with a lot of new coaches on the offensive side of the football. You want them to do their own evaluations and find the guys that fit what they want from a culture standpoint, but also from a skill set standpoint. And the camps are going to be a big part of that. So expect to see business pick up a great deal once we get into camp season. Every single year, there's always some player that comes to camp that we're maybe not as familiar with that comes in and has a big camp and becomes a priority target late. Uh, kind of looking forward to that, kind of you know, recalibrating a little bit and kind of getting back into camp mode. And once we get done with the camps, it'll be time for us to take vacation, go have a good time together. And before you know it, man, fall camp will be here, right? That's the thing, man. It's like you get in the summer, and, I, and again, I'm going to go ahead and get on this train early. Take advantage of your summer months. I know right now we're, we're, we feel good about what happened this weekend at baseball, but it has been a dreadful season. Still, again, a lot, of, a lot of question marks about the direction of our program, right? But use the summer months to get all your stuff done because when September gets here and it's time to go play southeastern Louisiana and kind of get football going, you want, you're going to want to kind of, you know, recreate you may want to tailgate or you may just want to lay around home on the couch and, and eat potato chips and donuts and watch football. I don't know. But so get all your stuff done this summer, guys. Make use of your time. Ladies, you too. I know many of you too are, are thinking about the ladies camp that's coming up uh, on behalf of the Bulldog Initiative. That will take place June 17th. There will be a camp and, of course, an after party after that. Unfortunately, my bride will not be able to be there. I've had a few of you hit me up and say, hey, is, is Dana going to be able to come? Trust me, she wants to go, but uh, she'll be finishing up a contract in Knoxville and uh, the next to last one, thank goodness. But if you are looking for information, you can find it all over Twitter. And uh, if you follow you know, Zach Arnett or follow me or Bulldog Initiative, it's out there. Very easy to find. If you don't follow the Bulldog Initiative on Twitter, let me encourage you to do so. It's at Bulldog NIL. What could be easier? At Bulldog NIL. Women's Football Clinic with an after party, uh, June 17th. And that's going to run from 3 to 7, of course, that's social to follow. Be sure and be a part of that. There's such an, that's a, an important aspect of things uh, to kind of like get the ladies plugged in. We have some huge, huge, huge Bulldog football fans of the female persuasion. And so you go and enjoy yourself and uh, just kind of have a, a day with the ladies enjoying your favorite sport. I encourage you to get out and go be a part of that. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can get most of my sports books there. You can get Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, uh, Flim Flam. Of course, Blooms of Oleander will be out of print soon. You can still find copies at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMegan.com, or through your local bookstore. And uh, book, the bookstores in the greater Starkville area still have a few copies around. Uh, and if you need Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. And if you're not a member of our, our great community over jeanspage.com, you should be. Come be a part of that. Have the the uh, baseball push here at the end, and, of course, we'll get into summer camps. The next thing you know, man, we're going to be in fall camp, and you're not going to want to miss anything. Nobody is going to cover fall camp like we are over jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. That's it for today. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks, as always, for your support of the show, the website, the books, everything. You guys have been amazing to me. I'm so incredibly grateful.
But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.